0: hello everybody
1: and welcome to another edition of hangout in the holy land land grant holand's flagship podcast i am your host gene ross and join me as always is josh dooley josh how are we doing this week it is now february and uh the off season's slowly creeping
0: along i'm hanging in there gene uh apologies ahead of time for anybody listening i'm gonna try and mute myself but fighting through a cold or a flu or covid i don't know it could be any number of things i don't know if anybody knows anymore Uh, i'm gonna try and be a professional but gene you know there's a difference between hurt and injured right and uh you can play through the hurt. You can play through the pain, and that's what I'm doing today.
1: Yeah, Josh, Josh is being a real trooper today. Hopefully, this isn't his uh, last ever podcast here on Hangout with the Holy Land. I think he'll, I think he'll pull through though. I'm pretty confident. A <laughs> um, bunch of stuff to talk about though. Uh, not really in terms of news stuff, but there are a couple of news and notes to get to before we jump into the the bulk of what this podcast is probably going to look like. Um, so starting off on the recruiting trail, as we we tend to do here in the off season, some good news seems to be coming down the pipe for Ohio State. Uh, one of their top targets in the 2023 class, offensive tackle Luke Montgomery, has announced that he will be uh, announcing his commitment on February 17th. He's a high four-star offensive tackle, the number six at his position, number 62 overall player, and the number two player in Ohio in this cycle. He's got well over 34 offers, including the likes of Alabama, Clemson, USC. You know all the all the usual suspects, all the big boys. Um, and then just you know, along with this this announcement, just this past week, uh, director of recruiting for 247 Sports, Steve Wolfong submitted a crystal ball in favor of Ohio state on Monday with a high confidence of seven. He also has crystal balls from Bill Kerlick and a South Carolina insider, all for Ohio state. So it does seem like some good news is coming here soon for Ohio state. It looks like Montgomery is going to join this Ohio state class. And while it isn't official yet, you have to like the the timing of all these things coming together and how it looks for, for the Buckeyes coming up.
0: Yeah. When the Fong chimes in along with Bill Kerlick, you know, when those guys are confident, that makes me confident about potentially landing Montgomery services. Um, Super excited about this guy. You know, you said high four-star. Uh, I think nine, uh, 20, 247 has him at like a, a 0.97 and change. So number six tackle in the country, number two prospect in Ohio. And I think the the great thing, not, not just to get Luke Montgomery, obviously, that would be uh, a hell of a start to your 2023 class, but to pair him with an interior guy like, um, gosh, now it's, it's going to escape me, Padilla. I'm sorry, Josh Padilla, to go out and get a stud tackle and potentially a stud guard. Those are some really good building blocks for a unit moving forward. And that's what we've talked about, right, is Ohio State's offensive line recruiting in the past. Can they go out and get the big fish? Granted, these guys are in-state prospects, but they are big fish in their own right. You know, Montgomery was recruited by, you mentioned, Notre Dame, Michigan, Clemson, USC, you name it. So I would be really excited to get this kid. And he, uh, I, I checked out a little bit of his tape. Looks like he can still grow into a frame at 6'5". I think he's listed at like 260. Probably put on 20, 30 pounds once he gets to Ohio State. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully all of that comes to fruition, though.
1: Yeah. Our, one of our recruiting guys, Caleb Hauser, wrote up a piece on him looking at some of his film on Tuesday. So be sure to check that out. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's a big uh, big early early test here for Justin Fry. And it looks like he's, he's passing with flying colors. Like you said, this is an in-state prospect, but he's certainly not a guy that was, you know, a guarantee to Ohio State from the beginning. It almost seems as if, you know, Justin Fry was able to make more ground with Montgomery in the in the short time he's been there than Stu Drow was able to do in the entire time since this recruitment started. So it looks like a really good start for Ohio State's new position coach along the offensive line. You know, like we talked about when during his first you know, introductory press conferences, we really liked. We heard from Justin Fry; he seems like a cool dude, and he seems to really hit it off with. Luke Montgomery. So you have to feel like Ohio State's offensive line is in really good hands moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think so. And you mentioned Justin Fry. He made him a priority right away. You know, Fry had been on the job like 15 minutes. It seems like when he went and uh, visited Luke Montgomery, had multiple conversations with him. So we knew that Justin Fry would have to hit the ground running. I'm sure he knew that too. You know, he knows more football, knows more about recruiting than we'll, you know, ever hope to know. But he clearly identified this guy as a want and a need, so I'm sure that meant something to Montgomery. And um, like I said, to to get the interior out, interior outside combo, geez, is a really good start for Justin Fry. And he definitely seems like that guy who's going to go out after those big targets, make them a priority, want to have conversations with them, you know, kind of tell them what Ohio State's all about, and. Hopefully bring in some, some studs.
1: Yeah, and we will have uh, much more to talk about with the Ohio State offensive line in just a little bit here. But firstly, another another piece of news today, more on a, on a negative side from the basketball program. Chris Holman spoke this morning. Um, And we learned that Seth Towns' season is officially over. Holman announced on Tuesday that Towns will miss the remainder of the season as he continues to rehab from that back surgery he had back in September. It was originally expected to sideline him for a couple of months, but it looks like it's going to take longer than that now. Um, So he is out for the rest of the year. Not super unexpected. It seemed like this was kind of trending this way for a while. He is still eligible to return to Ohio State next season if he chooses for what would be his seventh year of college basketball. It remains to be seen whether he will do that or not or whether he Kind of hangs it up in sort of a medical retirement. It's been a, a tough career uh, for the hometown kid from Columbus. You know, this is his fourth straight year. He's missed at least somewhat significant time with injuries. He had the two years at Harvard where he was missing with knee injuries. Uh, he missed the start of last season, still rehabbing from that knee injury, and then he missed all of this year. So, you know, this was a guy that at one point averaged 16 and 6. He shot over 40% from three, won Ivy League Player of the Year back at Harvard, came back home, wanted to be a star at Ohio State. Looked like he had some potential to do that, but. Injuries has really derailed his career, and, and it's tough to see. But you know, we'll see what happens for the rest of his future. He is, like I said, he still, still could come back next season. There remains to be seen whether he will or not. But it, it really sucks to see him just struggle with injuries this much. And I wish, wish we wish him the best moving forward, and hope that you know, hopefully, he's on some some basketball court at some point in the future soon.
0: Yeah, it's a real bummer for him, especially being a hometown kid and coming back home to potentially. Well, I mean, he did play for the Buckeyes, but not nearly as much as he would have liked or assumed that he was going to. So, I'm super bummed out for Seth Towns, the person, the basketball player, the individual, all of that. But you know, when it, when I look at the program and I kind of relate it to Ohio State, I'm not really bummed for Ohio State because. And tell me if you feel differently. I don't feel like we ever had Seth Towns. Um, unfortunately, I think that we got the ghost or the shell of Seth Towns, and he was trying to work himself back into shape and kind of get healthy again, even in his limited playing time here at Ohio State. But he was an idea to me, and it never came to fruition because we just didn't get to see it. So super bummed for him. He seems like a great guy. I hope that he's got a lot to fall back on. He's got that Harvard education, obviously. But for the Ohio State Buckeyes basketball team, this doesn't really make a difference, you know, in in how I view them this year and moving forward. and, And really, I don't even... Really think about what could have been because it, it it never really happened. Is that sort of the the same vibe that you get?
1: Yeah, it really stinks. And like like you know, he was obviously a really good player, and but like you mm-hmm. said, you know, even last year when he was playing, he clearly wasn't his full self, and he was still kind of rehabbing as he was playing from that knee injury. It was a really you know really really brutal knee injury from from all sounds of it. But yeah, like you said, I mean, he's a really smart kid. He seems to, you know to be a really good kid off the court. Um, so I'm sure he has a really bright future ahead of him, whether that's in, you know, some form of basketball coaching, what have you, or in just, you know, the, the real world at large, I think he'll do quite well for himself. But yeah, it does stink. Like you said, he wasn't really a huge part of this Ohio State team at any point, so it's not a, a massive loss for Ohio State. Obviously, it would have been nice to have another kid who could score like him off the bench and, and bring some more size to this team that needs it. I do think that, you know, the, the just suing injury is obviously a more... Pressing matter just because of how important Justice Tunin was to this team last year, but I think Chris Holman really would have liked to have someone like Seth Towns in there, and maybe eat some of the minutes that you're giving to a guy like Joey Brunk, who doesn't, you know, hasn't been terrible, but doesn't bring a ton offensively, and you know, he's able to stretch the floor with a guy like Seth Towns. So obviously a loss, I wouldn't say it's you know not important, but it is like you said, it's not. I don't think this makes or breaks Ohio State season. I think Ohio State was would have been happy if they got anything from Seth Towns this year. I don't know if they were really expecting to have him much. I think, you know, a lot of people pretty much expected him to be, you know, if he was going to play, he wasn't going to play significant minutes at any point this year. I don't think he, you know, even if he does get healthy, I don't know if he'll ever play significant minutes again, which is how many injuries have piled up for him. But nonetheless, it does. I want to ask you about
0: that, Gene. I want to get your opinion, throw the scholarship numbers out the window. Let's just hypothetical. If Towns were to get fully healthy or very, very close to it, say he's 90% of what he was 80%, who knows? Do you think that he would want to come back? And if it were you, would you want to come back for a seventh year, which is almost unprecedented?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know Seth Towns personally, I don't know what his goals are, what his motivations are. You know, like we both said, he's probably got other aspirations outside of the basketball court. I'm sure he could do quite well for himself, even if it's not, you know, Making the money, I don't. I don't. I don't think he was ever really a true NBA prospect. So I don't think he was ever aiming down that road. But I don't know. I could see him coming back if he still wants to. to not he doesn't want to hang up the, the jersey just yet. Wants to still play his last year of college basketball. I'm sure Ohio State would welcome him back next season. They'll obviously be losing, you know, EJ Liddell, maybe a couple other guys, and I'm sure they could use the help, even if it's just off the bench. But I don't know. I don't know what Seth Towns. You know, I don't know what he's thinking right now. Obviously, we just. Learn that he's he'll be out for the season. We don't really know how long. He's known that he'll be out for the entire season, so I'm sure he has some big decisions to make. Um, so I don't want to speak for him or anything, but I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't be surprised either way if Seth Towns decides to return, wants to get one more year of college ball under himself, wants to prove that he could still do it, that he could get healthy. Then I then good for him. If not, if he chooses to hang it up and and pursue other things, then I'm happy for him as well. So I think you know either way, Ohio State would be would be happy with the decision. I think they're still happy that they. They brought him in, like you said, just bringing back the hometown kid, wanted to play for Ohio State, didn't have to transfer from Harvard here, but wanted a chance to play back home. Uh, I think it, it, you know, it worked out to the best, you know, with everything that happened, it worked out to the best for everyone, I guess. And you hate to see a kid like this miss another season, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either way, you know, whichever way he, he leans.
0: Yeah, I just want to see him, you know, do what's best for him and what he wants in his heart of hearts. If it were me to turn it around, hell yeah, I would come back. Um, As somebody who's further removed from the college experience than you are, I miss it, man. And uh, to go back to college for another year, especially at Ohio State and play basketball, which is clearly something he loves, you know, it's got to be difficult for him knowing that this might be the end. You know, if he gets healthy, is it going to kind of eat away at him like what if you know could I have done and gone back and done anything but that's that's all so hypothetical and it's really it's it's not up to either one of us obviously so just whatever he wants to do uh you know I wish him all the luck in the world and you know maybe sticks around the program too he he seems like a really good kid so um I I think he's going to be good in the long run
1: yeah. I mean, if Ohio State wanted to offer me another year with free room and board and free food and, <laughs> you know, I, I would probably go back. But I also don't have a Harvard education. So I don't know. Maybe our maybe our motivations are a bit different. But I think, you know, yeah. you and I would both like to go back to for, for another free year of Ohio State. But maybe he is. He has other things on his mind. So we'll that remains to be seen. And we will we'll see how that plays out over the course of, I guess, the next, you know, pretty much year uh, at this rate. So that's that's really it in terms of news and notes. Um but now we're going we're gonna to try to switch gears here, get into more of the football talk as we do in the offseason. Uh, obviously not a ton going on as we are just in the beginning of February. Uh, we know that the, the spring game will be taking place in April, but not a whole bunch of other stuff yet as kind of the players and coaches really just start to get together for the first time and sort of outlay their plans. So while they're doing that, Josh, me and you are going to try to predict what the team is going to look like this fall, do our way-too-early mm-hmm. depth chart projections starting this week with the offense um, obviously not as much intrigue on the offensive side of the ball as the defensive side, but there are the, the obvious clear big losses, guys like Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave, Nicholas petit Frere, Thayer Munford, guys like that. So a lot of NFL talent is leaving, but we obviously both expect, and you know, the world at large expects this Ohio State offense to be pretty darn good in 2022, I would say.
0: Yeah, I have no concerns about the guys coming back, and that's kind of wild to say, given the amount of talent That is now gone from the program. Um, But it it just speaks to the recruiting, the coaching, the development, everything that Ryan Day and his staff have done and will continue to do. That, you know, we're not chewing our fingernails away with anxiety over what is coming back. We still expect to have this high powered offense. And um, the guys that are going to replace some of the departed players, uh, you know, I think they're really gonna shine given more opportunity. And I'm really excited to get into this because I want to see if we have any differences or like any wild surprises as far as who we think um, will play in these larger roles and maybe even be starters down the road. Do you think Do you think that we're going to vary much in our opinion?
1: Um, I think there's one or two spots we may vary, not as much even in terms of players that are going to start, but in terms of uh, I guess our ideas for for not, not, I mean, not scheme, but more of like the idea behind certain aspects. And I think you'll understand what I mean when we get to certain spots. But I think we could start okay. really with the obvious positions here. And that is uh, obviously that Kyle McCord is going to start a quarterback because of all the, the controversy of, of C.J. Stroud's early season last year, right?
0: We're already disagreeing. Um, I had J.P. Andrade, actually. And now that he's transferred to go play for primetime, I'm kind of in scramble mode. So that's why I wanted you to go first. Uh, it definitely sounds like with McCord off the board potentially, I don't have to pick somebody else, but I might lean another way.
1: Yeah, you know, obviously we're uh, we're both <laughs> sort of joking. You know, there's there's some controversy at Ohio State among the quarterbacks, but I think that's gonna be more for the the, the backup role going into the twenty twenty-three season. But as we head into twenty twenty two, obviously CJ Stroud will be returning at quarterback for the Buckeyes, coming off a tremendous year, probably gonna enter the season as as the, if not one of the top two or three. Heisman candidates. I believe you know one of the odds makers put out uh, recent Heisman odds uh, a week or so ago, and they had uh, Bryce Young as the, as the top guy, obviously returning as the Heisman winner, and then CJ Stroud in that number two spot. Both guys that play for really high powered offenses. Uh, but Stroud, you know, coming off a year over 4,400 yards, 44 touchdowns, six picks. And that was with, you know, missing a game against Akron where he really could have had his stats. And obviously that, that early season shoulder injury, that was nagging him. And once he was able to heal that, he played so much better. But by the end of the year, Josh, this guy was really clicking. He was hitting all the throws. I mean, he was near perfect in the end. And even in the even in the in the Rose Bowl where he's missing his top two weapons from the year. Uh, he's still a Jackson Smith and Jigba there who we'll get to later on when we talk about the wide receivers. But just played a tremendous game, hit all of his throws, made some really pretty throws. All year he he was really fitting into tight windows and making some great decisions. And it wasn't wasn't too much to complain about CJ Stroud. We, you know, people tried to complain midseason that he wasn't running enough, but it really just nitpicking at that point. I thought Stroud played tremendously, even in you know, even in the games they lost You know, he did miss one important throw against Oregon, but that obviously wasn't what lost in the game. And he really, I don't think he could have done much more against Michigan. It was both of those losses were more on the defense and the offense. So overall, I thought Stroud played a tremendous year. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if he came into this season and won the Heisman. He's got a lot to prove. Obviously, he was not pleased with how the the Heisman ceremony itself went and and where he finished and just kind of the the talk around that and the things that happened there with with all the Michigan stuff. But nonetheless, Josh, I am excited for C.J. Stroud in 2022.
0: No disagreement here. I'm obviously going with CJ as my pick to start quarterback next year, and man, he exceeded my expectations. Um, I, I, I thought, or I had confidence that when Ryan Day chose him to be the starter, I was like, okay, you know, he's going to be good. He's going to be fine. I trust Ryan Day's opinion, obviously, um, but I didn't know how good he was going to be, and it just he built. And he developed throughout the year. He had a couple rough stretches, I guess, early on. And we don't know how much of that was due to the injury. But you could really see it as he gained confidence, he became just he he became a monster. You know, he was playing. I'm not comparing their styles per se, but like he was playing at a Justin Fields level when it comes to confidence. You know, Justin Fields, especially when he came back that second year, like, fields knew he was the man we knew he was the man and you know he just it seemed like he got better and better and better and he trusted himself he trusted his players and he was like I can do anything out here and CJ sort of developed that mentality in a short period of time really I mean if you go from maybe like game three or four to game like nine ten when he really started to just all cylinders um It it didn't seem so gradual, but from one week to the other, one week to the next, he would just, he would be 1% better, it it seemed like to me. And so by the end of the year, he was running this offense like a a well-oiled machine. And I think that he's going to continue to do so in 2022. My only question is, you know, can they protect him? I think that they will, and we'll get to that. But, um, you know, I want to ask you this. Uh, don't give me his numbers or anything, but do you think Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave made CJ Stroud or vice versa? Or do you think it was just this combination of, you know, CJ was going to be good no matter who was out there. And and the same thing goes for the wide receivers. You know, I guess my question is, are you fearful of any drop off because he does not have those two elite wide receivers out there three really, but he lost two of them. So do you fear any drop off from Stroud?
1: What, what makes me confident in, in not having any of that drop-off is obviously first his performance in the Rose Bowl against what was a, a good defense, mm-hmm. albeit a, an injured secondary against Utah, but a good defense, and we saw what he could do. Having not even really worked a, a full—obviously, he worked a full offseason with the guys that on the roster, but those guys weren't getting— First team reps up until the Rose Bowl, but what really you know what impressed me most about Stroud is that we saw at times that Justin Fields kind of used you know he really only targeted Chris Olave and Gary Wilson for most of his final season at Ohio State, but but C J Stroud kind of moved the ball around a lot more, and the fact that Jackson Smith and Jigba finished the season as the leading receiver on the team with all three of those guys, just shows that he wasn't afraid to just hit whoever was open. You know, He wasn't looking downfield saying, oh, well, well Chris Olave's is down there somewhere. And, I, and I'm not saying that a guy like Justin Fields did that, because obviously he was tremendous as well. But C.J. Stroud seemed to have the utmost confidence in whoever he was throwing to. He seemed to be confident in himself. I think that you know, while Fields and Stroud are both very different styles of quarterbacks, I think that they both play with these same kind of quiet confidence where they're never, you know, they're not Mm. super fiery. They're not like out there being a rah-rah guy. They're just kind of minding their own business and and doing the damn thing out on the field and you know that you could you could feel their confidence, but you don't really see them like exuding it and like yelling and like being all crazy. They're just very quiet, very very humble, just doing their thing and out there and trusting in their own in their own powers, trusting in their offense. And I think what's going to help him even further is the fact that that Ryan Day has a guy now that he could trust to to be the head coach of his defense in Jim Knowles, and now Ryan Day could focus a hundred percent of his efforts on the offense. So I think that you know he obviously has confidence going into the season. C.J. Stroud, they have confidence in in each other, and I think that we'll see. Maybe Ohio State open up the playbook a little bit more now that, you know, Caesar Stroud has a year under his belt. He learned a lot in, in his first year, but through the ups and downs, had a lot of adversity go his way, some not go his way. And you know, he's he's been through the the Ohio State fans kind of questioning his abilities and he, and he answered that with, with flying colors. So I think there's a lot of a lot of good things CJ Stroud did this year. And while I think that, you know, obviously having guys like uh Chris Olive and Garrett Wilson certainly helped. And I was actually watching, you know, I was I was bored of work the other day, I was actually watching a lot of Garrett Wilson and some all of these wide receivers highlight tapes and, and those guys were absolutely phenomenal even you know looking back on it obviously but at the end of the day obviously there's still a ton of wide receiver talent at Ohio State which we will get to in a little bit and while they none of those guys may be the next Garrett Wilson or or, or Chris Olave maybe they will we don't really know yet but at the end of the day I think that whoever CJ Stroud's throwing the ball to I think he's going to do quite well and I think that he will you know if he's not the Heisman winner I think he will still be in New York at the end of the year I I'm pretty confident in that
0: I agree with you and those are all great points made by you I don't have anything else on C.J. Stroud, and I, I know we're not going to go two, three deep on everything, but if you don't have anything else on Stroud, how do you see the backup role playing out then?
1: No, I, I definitely wanted to talk about that, especially at least that quarterback, but okay. some of the backup roles. Uh, obviously, you know, Kyle McCord coming back as the five-star quarterback when Air is transferring to Texas, so that kind of empties that room. Jack Miller also leaving for Florida. Uh, But in comes Devin Brown, who, you know, according to On3, was the number one overall recruit in the country, not just quarterback. And while I don't know, don't know about all that. But at the end of the day, you know, Devin Brown is a very highly, highly touted guy coming in 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 this recruiting class as a freshman. He's a guy that, you know, very well spoken. I watched some of his media day stuff. He seems like a very confident kid. He came here to compete. He knows what it means to be quarterback at Ohio State. And so I think that, you know, this will be an interesting year for those two guys to battle it out. I don't think that, you know, Kyle McCord is just going to automatically be the starter in 2023 because he was here first. I think that Ryan Day will allow those two guys to battle it out, so I think it'll be important to watch those guys over the course of the year, hopefully coming in in mop-up duty when Ohio State is up a bunch, but I'm sure those guys will be battling it out all year, and I don't really know at this point which one will win. I think they both have their good qualities. We obviously haven't seen Devin Brown play yet. We saw Kyle McCord start a game, and he was, he was decent. I wouldn't say he, he lit up the room and he played against a, a pretty poor team, but he looked good. Um, and, you know, Devin Brown obviously has catching up to do, but I am very interested in how that battle plays out because I don't think it's it's set in stone that Kyle McCord is just going to be the starter once C.J. Stroud leaves.
0: See, this is this is going to be fun because I do differ in opinion here and not that Devin Brown's going to even take over. I, I don't know that he competes for the backup role. This is I, I don't know if you can hear the whistle in the background, but I'm the conductor of the McCord Express. I I, I'm going to go chalk and I don't even think it's close. I think that Kyle McCord will be the clear backup and I'm still all in on this guy. You know, he got beat out by a Heisman finalist and you're right. He didn't look fantastic during his one start, but we're still talking about a kid who was a five-star recruit. Um, You know, the, the, arm that he's got. I mean, he's got a howitzer on his right shoulder. I really like the arm strength that he's got. He needs to work on the accuracy clearly. He's probably more mobile than I think he got credit for. We didn't really get to see it much during his limited playing time this year, but I think he's going to be really, really good. And so I do expect him to be the backup without much of a battle. And I do expect Kyle McCord to probably be the Unquestioned starter going into 2023, but again, that's just me. Um, I've admitted my bias here, but I'm still fully on Kyle McCord, and I think he's going to be really good in the future.
1: Yeah, and I have no problem with that. I think McCord is a good player. I don't want to disparage him. I just think that they'll, you know, they'll. I I probably agree with you that McCord will be the backup this year, just because he has, you know, in game experience. He's played here. He's been here a couple years now, so he knows. What's going on? I'm sure Ryan Day trusts him more to come in a game than a guy that's just stepping foot on campus for the first time. But I do think that, you know, being a quarterback's guy and a guy who could evaluate talent pretty well at the position, I do think they'll at least give him a really good shot to maybe win the job in 2023. But I do agree with you that he'll almost certainly be the backup to, to Stroud this year. And if anything were to happen, God forbid, early in the year, I think we would see Kyle McCord uh, take over that role. So uh, I'm with you there in some ways. I'm not 100% set in stone as you are that he'll start next year, but that's that's why they play the games, as they say. And there's
0: a lot to be determined. You know, It's a good problem to have, right?
1: Yeah, I'd rather have too many good quarterbacks than not enough. That's always the way you'd rather things be situated. But moving on to the other room that that's pretty deep and also pretty set in stone with the way things are going, at least for this season... Uh, is is the guy standing next to C.J. Stroud in the backfield, and that is at running back, where I imagine that Travion Henderson will be the the number one guy coming into twenty twenty two. But we also love our dude Mayan Williams, especially me, big Mayan Williams guy. I would like to see them use them better. Um, we're going to talk about the offensive line here in a little bit. They obviously have to be better up front, and help these guys out. But I do think that Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams both have their strengths, and I'd like to see both of them playing. I do think that we'll see more of a you know a sixty five thirty five split in, in favor of of. Trayvon Henderson, if not more, but um, you know they also have Evan Pryor in that room. It's a, it's a deep room. There's a lot of talent there. I, I do expect though that we're going to see probably a really big year from Trayvon Henderson after he was kind of he was banged up in pretty much every game this past year. So hopefully he you know bulks up a little bit in the off season, gets gets things going, stays healthy, and we are able to see the, the full extent of Trayvon Henderson behind what's hopefully a better blocking, uh run blocking offensive line. But I'm really excited for year two, Trayvon Henderson. This kid. Obviously exceeded all expectations coming in, even as a, as a five-star guy that we expected to be really good. Took over almost immediately as the starter. And now he's come back for year two, playing next to CJ Stroud. So you have two guys in your backfield to start off the 2022 season that you really, really trust.
0: And on this, we do agree on this one uh, wholeheartedly. Travion Henderson's another guy who I think could be in the Heisman conversation based on what we saw this year as a true freshman. You got to hope that he stays healthy and can get more snaps and more reps throughout the season. But I'm with you. You know, I want to see them use Mayan Williams in a true, not a 1B capacity, but as a true kind of backup handcuff. He brings a physical presence he can break tackles. He's a downhill guy. I think he's probably got more speed than he gets credit for. And he's kind of, you know, we saw or we we thought we were going to see more of Master Teague last year. And Mayan Williams just brings more of what you wanted, I think, from Master Teague. He's just, you know, he's got more shake and wiggle to him than Master Teague third did. So, yeah, I want to see him get the ball. But I think the the snaps will be dominated. The touches will be dominated by Travion Henderson. And the one guy that you, you didn't hit on is Evan Pryor. I, I don't know where he fits in, but I want to see him get the ball, too. You know, he was the number two all purpose back coming out of high school. He, uh, you know, has a receiving acumen. I had it written down. He had near uh, 650 yards receiving his last year in high school. He didn't play a senior year. Um So he can catch the ball and that's not something that Ohio state does a lot. And Travion Henderson also has that ability to catch the ball, but I'd like to see them find, um, you know, maybe it's a package or just a a set or a number of plays for Evan Pryor to get involved too, because I think there's a lot of talent in that backfield, but it's, it's hard to come off of Travion Henderson, right? It's hard to, Put him on the sideline when he is so well rounded and versatile himself. So, yes on Travion Henderson, yes on Mayan Williams is the clear backup. But I do want to see Evan Pryor get involved as well.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, once again, it's one of these problems that you'd rather have than not have. It, there are yep. just it's it's a good room. Like all three of these guys seem to have their strengths. And you know, while while Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are ahead of Evan Pryor, and we haven't seen him a ton, I do agree that he has a skill set that could be used by Ohio State. I think he's a very Similar player to a guy like maybe Curtis Samuel, and obviously you wouldn't use him as, as hefty as they use Curtis Samuel, but a guy—I know obviously doesn't use the H-back roll a bunch, but you brought up his ability to catch the ball, kind of throwing him in the slot sometimes, and maybe just throwing passes out of the backfield, maybe line up him and Trayvon Henderson both in the backfield at the same time and, and running some passing sets out of that. I do want to see overall— Ohio State use the running back pass more this season. I think it's a really good safety blanket and we've seen what Trayvon Henderson could do with the ball in his hands. I, I wouldn't hate to see more screen passes to Trayvon Henderson and more wheel routes. It seems like every single time they did that, it worked pretty much every time. There isn't really a linebacker who could cover Trayvon Henderson's speed one-on-one out of the backfield. So I think utilizing that a bit more would certainly be, be good to have on your on hand. Uh, maybe some two running back sets, like I said, having Trey and Mayan in the backfield and maybe Mayan as the, the more running threat and then having Trey coming out of a, of a play-action pass and you have him on the sideline. So what I don't want to see is is a guy being put out wide like they did for no reason with Master Teague <laughs> a few times. And while I trust, you know, I trust Trayvon Henderson to catch the ball more than I trust in Master Teague, but putting out a running back as an out-wide decoy is, is dumb and is is kind of a waste of having a guy on the field. So let's not do that anymore. But yeah, I'd like to see more running back pass. I think, like you said, Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams both have their their strengths. And while I think they could both do... The other one's job, because I do agree that Mayan Williams is probably faster than he, people give him credit for. Uh, he he's good at bouncing off tackles. He's more of that, that bowling ball style runner, whereas Trayvon Henderson is more of a, a speed and finesse guy. So there's certainly ways you could use both of them effectively, especially to give you know one another a breather if they needed. So I'm excited to see both of those guys. Hopefully, all three of those guys in some capacity this season. And I think that you know overall, Tony Alford's doing a great job, and Ohio State's running back room is in really good shape.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing that's interesting, and in, you know, you don't want to project, and you, you hope that nobody leaves and I know we don't love having this conversation, but I'm curious to see what happens with that third string running back because they didn't go out and bring in, you know, the Uber recruit this year. They did bring in Dallin Hayden, who is another, uh, is another like really good all around back. He can catch the ball as well, but they didn't go out and get another Travion Henderson or Evan Pryor. Right. And so I wonder if the, Third string running back come you know spring practice maybe starts to look elsewhere and the only reason I say that or even bring it up is because Travion Henderson's only going to be a sophomore so you know and Mayan Williams is going to be a junior so whoever ends up as that third string running back is very likely to be in the exact same spot the following year so I know that's a lot of projection but. You know, is is that third stringer going to want to sit in that spot for two years?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I am I was a little surprised, not really surprised, but I was a little surprised that Mayan Williams didn't potentially leave mm-hmm. this offseason because I and obviously I'm very glad he didn't because I like him a lot as a player, but I, I think he could be a star for many other teams. And I and unfortunately he's blocked by one of, if not the best running backs in the country, which, you know, it, it's tough in that regard. But this is a guy coming out that wasn't really highly rated recruit Ohio State kind of just grabbed him as as an extra spot in the class they needed another running back and he's turned into a really good player and I think that if he went to a school where he was a number one guy he could put up some really gaudy stats and I'm not even saying he has to go to like a max school I think he could do really well at, at an ACC or another big 10 school as the number one guy out of the backfield so I'm a little surprised that didn't happen but I'm glad he's still around I think you know Hopefully Ohio State's to talk to him a bit and been like, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna use you a lot this year, even if you aren't the number one guy. So I'm glad to see him stick around. But yeah, like you said, you know, in the world of the transfer portal, you never wanna predict guys leaving, but it is starting to be a little bit of a crowded room. I know they're looking at, you know, a five star like Richard Young in the next class, so could be more even more talent coming in. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys takes an exit. You know, it could be, you know, I don't want, I'm not going to name names, but it could be any one of those guys. It's, probably, it's not going to be Trayvon Henderson, I'll tell you that, because he's, you know, <laughs> he's going to be getting his touches, I'm sure. But yeah, you know, it's, it's a deep room, much like quarterback, you know, you see these guys come and go, because only one of them plays generally at a time. So it, it it's kind of just the world we live in now. And I'm not going to, you know, I don't know for sure what these guys are doing, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys moved, because like I said, I was kind of surprised that Mayan Williams didn't look elsewhere this offseason.
0: Yeah, it's a big juggling act, and if you're Ohio State, you you don't want to handcuff yourself or limit yourself. If you if you can, you want to go out and get a, a five star running back every single year because that's just how things work. You know, that's how you keep talent in the room and and win national championships. So, I yeah, I mean, I think Myan Williams, <clears throat> excuse me, could be very successful elsewhere, but I hope that he's very successful here in Columbus and. Hopefully he doesn't listen to every episode of our podcast and read too much into this because you and I both like love Mayan Williams, but it is going to get and it's becoming very crowded. So at the very least, I'm interested to see kind of the long term ramifications of everything. But you know, we're still on the same page though that Trayvon Henderson, we're going into the next year with a top end back, and you you go from there.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly not going to complain about it. All right, Josh. Would you prefer to go um, offensive line first or wide receiver? I think there's um pretty you know pretty clear starters at both, but there's also a lot of discussion we had behind those guys as well. So I'll, I'll leave it up to you which way you'd like to go from here.
0: Let's go offensive line. Let's go offensive line.
1: All right, let's do it. So there's you know in my mind the offensive line is going to be very interesting. Obviously, new new position coach Justin Fry. We're going to go back to having a real offensive line made up of you know two tackles, two guards in the center, and not four tackles in the center. Um, it worked great in pass pro, not so great in in run blocking, as we we saw very evidently, pretty much every single game. Um, so next year it's going to look a bit different. Obviously, there are the guys returning. Um, I, I think that you know Luke Whippler will maintain his spot as the starting center. Uh, DeJuan Jones will will be the starting right tackle. Those guys are both the the returning starters. Uh, Paris Johnson Jr. also a returning starter, but he will be. Most likely, I would say almost definitely moving to his natural position at left tackle. So that really only leaves the two guard spots open. And for those spots, I think it'll be Matt Jones, who has been kind of the the super replacement over the years. I think he's earned a spot. He's played well when he's been needed, when he's been called upon. So I'm expecting him to start at left guard. And then at right guard, I'm expecting the former five-star recruit, Donovan Jackson, to slide in. And I think overall, that's a very, very solid offensive line. I would be very surprised if that isn't. The starting five, because I don't think there's, you know, we're going to talk about the, the depth of this room, but I don't think there's much to push any of these guys out of the way. I think there's maybe one or two position battles to be had overall. But I think that looking at that line, it gives you reason to be confident. And, and with the way Justin Fry coaches... I think that Ohio State should be much, much better in run blocking, especially coming into the season. And hopefully they could continue to keep a clean pocket for C.J. Stroud.
0: See, now this one's going to be kind of boring because I agree with everything. And I don't know if I have a whole... Well, I've got one name I want to throw out to you here kind of at the end, but... Yeah, I'm really excited for Paris Johnson. Specifically, I think he's going to be a star at left tackle. He was a star in high school. It's his natural position. He performed admirably at guard, but that was more of a square peg round hole round hole situation. So, I'm excited to see what he can do out there. Matt Jones, I'm with you. Probably the left guard. He's been sort of a super sub, the sixth man off the bench. So good for him to hopefully get an opportunity. I think I agree. Luke Whipler maintains his spot, his hold on the center position. Donovan Jackson, another guy I'm excited about. I'm with you. I think he's your right guard and he's probably your right guard for the next two or three seasons. And Dewan Jones is sort of the obvious one. So no dissent on this side amongst the hosts. Uh, I'm with you across the board. The Harry Miller thing gets sort of interesting. I mean, we'll see what happens with Harry Miller. Who knows? It's sort of an odd year that he's coming off of. We don't know if he's fully healthy. We don't know what's going on with him, really. But assuming he's back, he could probably compete for a guard spot because he has experience there. I think it would be between him and Matt Jones just because, look, I think you bring in Donovan Jackson with his pedigree and with his talent. I I would be very, very surprised if he is not a starting guard, Matt Jones, you know, he's performed admirably and he's come in and been, like I said, that super sub, but he hasn't earned a spot as of yet. So maybe he and Harry Miller battle that one out. But the other name I wanted to throw out there is Josh Fryer. Josh Fryer, two years ago, I think it was like in spring practice, but during the offseason was running with the ones. And I think some of that was just maintenance for other guys and attrition and injuries and things like that. But the coaches liked what they saw out of him as a left guard prior to the 2021 season. I'm kind of getting my years all jumbled up here. So I would say keep an eye on him. I think he was kind of categorized as more of a tackle last year but I think he can move around and like I said he was playing that left guard position during the off season a few seasons ago so he's a guy I'm interested in he was a three-star recruit uh didn't come in with a ton of hype but he was the top player out of Indiana and you never know with those interior guys right like they're not the the sexiest names all the time but you know, he's a guy I'm going to be interested in, and I, and I don't think you can ignore the Fry and Fryer correlation if you see where I'm going there. So, who knows? Maybe Josh Fryer's a, a name to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. So the the one position I said really, or one position battle I said could potentially be was me thinking of Harry Miller, another guy that I was kind of surprised didn't elect to, to take the transfer route this off season, but. I do think they will give him at least a chance to compete for center. I, I think Luke Whipple was solid last year. I don't know if he was spectacular. It's hard to really stand out as a center, but I thought he did admirably. And I, you know, obviously Harry Miller, recruited as a center, has played some guards, so maybe he's that he becomes the Matt Jones of the team, sort of that super sub if they need somebody at center or at guard. Josh Fryer, I, I like you brought him up. He's a guy that's super versatile, and I think that he would he could kind of play any of the positions. I think that if they need a backup tackle in a pinch, I think they would look to Fryer first. Um, Harry mm-hmm. Miller is probably their interior sub, and then Josh Fryer is their outside sub, even though he is a guard. He's played both, as you as you mentioned. But, but behind those guys as the backups, it's it's real thin on this offensive line. Justin Fry is going to have his work cut out for him on the trail or maybe even in the transfer portal because, you know, if you look at some of the other names here, outside of Josh Fryer as a potential backup tackle, you really only also have – a guy like Enoch Vamahi, a junior who hasn't got much play, uh, Zen Mahalski, a redshirt freshman. Uh, it, it's really barren out there. And then at the guards, you got you know redshirt freshman Ben Chrisman, uh, Trey Larue, incoming freshman Carson Hinsman. There's just not a ton of proven depth behind these guys. So health along that offensive line is is going to be really important for Ohio State this year. I think this is the first time in a while where there hasn't been at least you know. You know, one or two really impressive guys waiting in the wings at at least you know one of the tackle, one of the guard spot, or one of in the interior spots, but. It, it's not the depth of this offensive line this year is not great. And I am of all the things on offense that I'm concerned about. I think that the offensive line depth is the one that's like almost number one on my list because of just the amount of unproven, unproven like talent on this roster behind the starters. I, I, I am. I'm very confident in the starters, But if something were to happen, one of them, I don't really know where the Buckeyes turn here.
0: That's a very important thing to bring up. And, you know, great job by you. <clears throat> it is very unproven as you get further and further down the depth chart. I like your idea of maybe having two super subs. Josh Fryer is versatile. You know, he ran with the tackles and he's done it with the guard. So good idea to potentially have him as your outside guy and Miller's your inside guy. But you're right. Um, the The guys that are second and third on the depth chart, very unproven. And it's not like they're unproven because they were true freshmen last year. I mean, a lot of these guys have two, three years of experience And we still haven't seen anything. So Justin Fry, not only has his work cut out for him to go out there and bring in new talent, but also to develop the in-house talent and get them up to an expected Ohio State level. So that part will be very interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised if, as a result, some of these younger guys coming in maybe move up the depth chart. I'm not predicting that they start, but who knows, you know, is, Car- is Carson Heinzman your number two guard at some point during the re- season? I don't know. Um, is Tegra Shibola potentially a backup tackle? Who knows, but there w- there is a lot to be sorted out in that room. Good news is we've got plenty of time to do that, but I'm with you. If this offensive line were to, knock on wood, be ravaged by injury, <clears throat> I think that can have a big impact on Ohio State as an offense and as a team.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking here. Did I mess this up or did Ohio State mess this up? I (laughs) forgot about Tegra Shibola because he's not on, he's not listed on Ohio State's roster for next
0: year. Well, I don't think he's enrolled yet, correct?
1: Um, That is probably true. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct, so that's on me. Uh, but yeah, George Fitzpatrick and Tegra Shibola, two guys coming in in this freshman class that also could play you know, a role as, as reserves, and they may have to, given the rest of the, of the people on this roster. So it remains to be seen. Like we said, the, the starters should be more than fine. I think they'll actually be really, really good, and if, if everything plays out the way it should, I think they'll be better than they were last season. And you know, it's, yes. it's super important that they are better in run blocking because I want to see the full extent of Travion Henderson, and while he was good last year, he was pretty much forced to do everything on his own and create his own holes back there more often than not, so... Having, having actual guards on the field uh, is, is helpful. Having an offensive line coach that knows what he's doing is helpful. And I think that the players on the field are very, very good. So all of that coming together should produce a very good offensive line uh, to protect for C.J. Stroud, to block for Trayvon Henderson, and also to allow C.J. Stroud to hit some of these wide receivers. And boy, does Ohio State have wide receivers, Josh.
0: Yes, they do. I think we're going to be different here, maybe in a spot. But another position where it's an embarrassment of riches Right. We're gonna name three starters, I assume. And you know, who knows? We could be wrong on two of them. We know one, but you know, we could swing and miss on two of these starting positions, and it it may not be a bad thing because that guy who comes and rises up the depth chart is gonna jump some really talented, talented guys ahead of him. So however this shakes out, I think it's gonna be a very good situation. But there are some some spots to figure out for sure.
1: Yeah, I think I have a very good feeling that we're going to have two of the three same starting receivers, and then a different third. So before before we get into that, I actually have a question for you about the obvious starter, and that is Jackson Smith and Jigba coming off just a tremendous season. Will likely be the the favorite for the Bolinikov coming into twenty twenty two. Um, my question for you, Josh, is obviously he's going to start Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's going to be Ohio State's top wide receiver. Him and C.J. Stroud have just an unbelievable rapport built up between the two of them. It seemed like you know whenever Ohio State was in trouble, Jackson Smith and Jigba was open over the middle, which begs the question, does Ohio State keep Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot as their number one guy, or do they look to move him outside? I think, personally, he's more valuable in the slot because of how easily he was able to get open over the middle and be that safety blanket for C.J. Stroud, but maybe he wants to play outside, prove to his NFL talents. We know that NFL, you know, talented validators like to see that guys could play inside and outside because they'd be asked to do the same at the next level. So I'm interested in what your opinion is. I think the best case scenario would be to leave him in the slot, especially with some of the other wide receivers around him and how some of these guys are built and and the stature of some of these other dudes. But what do you you think about JSN? Obviously, he's going to start, but where do you think he will be starting?
0: I'm with you. I think they keep him in the slot unless they are forced to do otherwise. I think that his skill set is just so natural. The way that he can <clears throat> excuse me. Um make plays after the catch, run after the catch, get open over the middle. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like and look, I'm not comparing them, but look at JSN and Cooper Cup, who's getting ready to play in the Super Bowl, right? The Rams keep Cooper Cup in the slot the majority of the time because he's just so damn good there. Um it's natural for him could he go and play outside does he yes in certain packages but if a guy's a 10 out of a 10 why mess with it so I do think that they keep him there unless like I said one of the guys on the outside just isn't cutting it because I I do think JSN could be plenty successful on the outside he's just he's so natural in the slot that I I think you don't move him unless you absolutely have to
1: Yes, I am. I am very excited for more JSN. I'm assuming that they will leave him in the slot. He's six foot even, so it's not like he's he's short, but he's not as big as some of the other wide receivers on the roster. Um, speaking of other big wide receivers on the roster, I think that the second wide receiver that we will have in common is Marvin Harrison Jr. Do you have him in your starting three? I don't know. I don't
0: know. I want you to give me your starting three, and then I'll kind of, I'll give you my thought process because I'm very torn for you know particular reasons. So. Um, I want to sandbag back a little bit and let you go with all three of yours.
1: All right, it's fine by me. So obviously, I will have JSN in the slot where he belongs. Uh, my other outside receiver is going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. He's six foot three. He's the tallest receiver on the roster. Um, we saw what he could do in the Rose Bowl. We know who his dad is. I, I have pretty high confidence for Marvin Harrison Jr. being a very, very good wide receiver at Ohio State. He reminds me a lot of a guy like Michael Thomas, except with a with a Hall of Fame NFL dad. Uh, to help him along the way, as well as Brian Hartline, the best wide receiver coach in the country. So I have incredibly high hopes for a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. And then on the other side, on the outside, my third star is going to be Emeka Egbuka, who I also think might differ from your top three. I really like what I've seen from him. Obviously, he's played a little bit on special teams. He showed what he could do with the ball in his hands. Didn't get a ton of throws his way, but I really like him as a prospect. I really liked him as a player in Columbus. I think he's going to be a very good wide receiver on this team. We saw a little bit of that in the Rose Bowl, but I think those are your top three. I wouldn't be surprised if you have a couple differences because, like you said, there's just so much talent in this room. Uh, what Brian Harline's been able to do on the recruiting trail and in development has been phenomenal, but that is that is who I would have jotting out there um, on opening day if I was Ohio State at my wide receiver spot.
0: And if you were the coach, like those are three outstanding wide receivers, and I couldn't fault you for that at all. <clears throat> Where I'm kind of torn is... I'm super high on Julian Fleming still. I think that this guy was the number one wide receiver coming out of high school. He is an insane athlete. You know, he's dealt with injuries, but it, it hasn't been, you know, a high ankle sprain. It hasn't been a torn MCL or ACL or anything like that. So I don't think it's really robbed him of any hit of his athleticism. It just hurt his ability to get on the field. So I think Julian Fleming starts somewhere on the outside. I'll start with that.
1: I have I have a Julian Fleming take.
0: OK, um, give me your take. Give me your take.
1: It's not it's not of any fault of Julian Fleming. I I think Mick Marathi has ruined Julian Fleming. Um, and the reason <laughs> and I say I that, the reason I say that is because Julian Fleming, when he came in, obviously the number one wide receiver in his class, um, came into Ohio State listed at 199. He's now listed on Ohio State's roster at 207, but he's like 220, 215 minimum. Yes. That guy's huge. And I think that when you, you're, you know, the, my problem, I'm not a huge, as we've learned in previous podcasts, I'm not a huge Morati fan. And I, I think that some of these guys he just makes too big and it takes away from their natural athleticism. And especially when you're a wide receiver, there's just no reason to be as big as a guy like Julian Fleming is. I think the same problem happened to a guy like Zach Harrison who came in at 253 and he's now 272. I think they lose some of that special athleticism when you just build these guys up. And I'm worried that Ohio State's, like, their strength program is just to make guys big and it makes them slow. We saw a lot of that with the linebackers as well. They're playing big, but there's no reason for these guys to be that big when it takes away from their speed. Look at, like, the size of Georgia's linebackers, the national title. Those guys are flying around the field. And they're probably 20 pounds lighter than Ohio State's linebackers because they don't need all that extra bulk on them. So that's that's kind of my concern with Julian Fleming is that he's just now too big to play wide receiver. I liked him as a prospect, and I think he still could be a big part of this team, but I think they'd be better served in, in slimming him down a bit to his natural weight coming into this offseason.
0: And you could be 1,000% right. I actually wrote about that, I think, in a in a recent piece that I did. It may have even been one of our Your Nuts columns. Julian Fleming's not 205, 207. He's 215, minimum um but i think that he can use that to his advantage too the reason i think julian fleming has sort of an edge here is in his limited playing time he has proven to be a good downfield blocker and ryan day and even going back to urban meyer but the recent ohio state coaches have loved a wide receiver who can block downfield both in the running game and for their you know their teammates on the outside so I think Julian Fleming is the best blocker, maybe of the four. And, and that's I know that's kind of crazy given his limited playing time, but what I've seen from him, he might be the best blocker of the four. I it think does, that, it does
1: make a lot of sense because his high school team played a, a wing T triple option. So he did a lot of blocking in high school. So that would that would add up.
0: Right. And he's just he's a big dude. He can use that. And you could be on to something with the athleticism, but I think back to some of the catches that he has had. Um, I don't know about the speed, but he can still jump out of the gym. I know that I've seen him do that. So I, I just, I think the coaches like him. I think the coaches trust him and he is going to have the edge and experience. So I think Julian Fleming starts on the outside. And so where where I was really torn is who gets the third position because my natural inclination was to say, well, yes, it's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. Look at what he did in the Rose Bowl, but he had 11 cat catches for the season, and Ameka Buka had nine. I mean, they basically put up the same numbers. Granted, Marvin Harrison Jr. had the great game and the touchdowns against Utah, but Ameka was also out there as a kick returner so they're not the same reps but they're on field rep reps nonetheless so you know if i had to choose one i would say marvin harrison over ameka egbuka but really nothing would surprise me uh you know i would not be shocked if it's julian fleming and ameka egbuka on the outside and marvin harrison junior is actually your fourth because Here's the thing. I think all four of these guys are going to play plenty because I think that Ryan Day, Brian Hartline and those guys, they're going to have the luxury of rotating them and not being so top heavy and so dependent on Olave, Wilson and JSN. So no matter how it shakes out, I think they're all going to get um, a lot of playing time. So But you know, if I'm going to go surprise here, I think Julian Fleming is a starter. And then I'll put Marvin Harrison Jr. out there with him. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if the exact alignment that you put out is what we see week one and moving forward. I I did want to ask you this. Do you think JSN can put up the same numbers that he did last year?
1: I don't really see why not. I mean, it's the same quarterback and the same offense. And while maybe teams won't have to, at least early on, maybe won't have to be you know worrying as much about the outside receivers i think they'll learn pretty quickly that the outside receivers are still pretty darn good even if they aren't wearing the names Wilson and Olave on the back of their jerseys. So maybe it'll take a little longer for him to get going because teams will be more focused on him early on. But you know, from what we've seen from him, I have no reason to think he won't put up similar numbers and play just as well. I mean, his ability to get open is unmatched. He makes every catch. He's like a faster K.J. Hill. He was just so dependable over the middle all the time for this offense. He was able to make you know fantastic plays with the ball in his hand even after the catch. So I liked everything, every part of his game. I think he'll be another high Ohio State NFL draft pick. And I'm I'm very confident in him. But just to kind of kind of like uh group everything together here and get the last position out of the way as we continue to talk wide receivers. Um the way that Ohio State gets all four of the wide receivers we talk about on the field is by eliminating the tight end position from their roster. Uh they don't okay. need it. We don't want it, nobody wants to see it, there's no reason for it. Uh, you have a, a room full of five star wide receivers. Why are you playing a tight end? It's now that Jeremy Ruckert's off the roster, I mean, you're looking at, you know, Mitch Rossi, Joe Royer, or G. Scott, and and no disc no like disrespect to those guys, but when you have the offensive weapons that Ohio State has, there is just no reason for this team to have a tight end on the field at any point. If you want to throw it on those guys out as a blocker purely, I guess that's fine. But at that point, just throw, throw a sixth offensive lineman on the field. I don't see a need for a tight end, if you want to throw you know, G. Scott Jr. out there as sort of like a fourth wide receiver tight end hybrid, that's fine. I think that's a, a good spot for Julian Fleming, who's a bigger dude and can block, like you said. So maybe they kind of work that in a little bit as, as Julian Fleming is as a, as a slot guy that also blocks a lot. That could work out. But I think Ohio State should do a lot more four and five wide this year because I don't see a need for the tight end position, especially when you don't have a clear pass catching option out there.
0: Do you have a spot in your cabinet for maybe uh secretary of state or a VP because I'd like to join. I'm um, with you. I think that there's a way to get all of your talented wide receivers out there and have a limited number of packages with something resembling a tight end. And I think that could be that that could serve Ohio State well. You know, it, 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 they wouldn't be surprising anybody, right? Like Jeremy Rucker was out there, and Jeremy Rucker's going to be a hell of a tight end. Mark my words, he's going to be very, very good. But other teams didn't pay a whole lot of attention to him. They know that Ohio State is going to spread you out and throw to their guys on the outside because that's what they want to do, or they're going to spread you out and try and get guys outside of the box um, so that Travion Henderson has more space to operate. So I'd love to see that. I don't know how realistic it is. We we occasionally see four wide receivers out there, but if you wanted to sign me up for 70% of your sets having four wide receivers. I'm game. I think that sometimes it's tough to get all of your best players on the field, but sometimes it's just the right thing to do. And if you can put JSN, who's proven along with two number one wide receivers in their recruiting class, and also the son of a NFL Hall of Famer who had three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl, do it, you know, go for it, see what happens. I don't think you're gonna be you're gonna be uh, too bad off if that's the route you go.
1: Yeah, uh, Jeremy Ruckert, probably one of the best pass catching tight ends Ohio State's ever had. Twenty six catches on the year, three touchdowns. I, I don't think the position is is needed in this offense. If that's all you're giving to Jeremy Ruckert, I don't see why you can't spread that out better amongst some other wide receivers instead. Um, and, you know, as we continue on with the wide receivers, you know, I have, do you think, Josh, that we are going to see, you know, obviously there's those top four guys, and I think those are the clear top four guys coming into this year. Do you think we will see much of some of these incoming, really highly touted freshmen this year? Because I do think there are guys who maybe could contribute a little bit, and they won't get the snaps of those other four guys, but, you know, guys like Kion Grays and Caleb Burton really stand out to me in this class, also Kojo Antwi, they also have Jane Ballard, who's been here a year or two now. Uh, Caleb Brown, another wide receiver coming in this class. I think you know, I think Grays and Brown are probably more of your slot guys. I've seen a lot of comparisons of, of Grays to Olave, but I think for now he's more of a slot guy. Uh, guys like Burton and Antwi are probably more outside receivers. I think Caleb Burton is a guy who's very undervalued, at least at the end of his recruitment. This is a guy that at one point was a five-star receiver, but after like getting injured and missing all his entire senior year, he dropped a ton in the rankings and I still think he's a very, very good player and a guy that you know uh, Brian Harline targeted out early. So I think a lot of these guys could probably, if it weren't wasn't for so much talent on Ohio State's roster, I think they would make an immediate impact. I don't know how much they will have now, but I think that, you know, should one of those four guys go down or, or not playing up to par, I think that they have more than enough reinforcements behind them to to get some reps in.
0: So I'll answer two questions. Could those young guys get on the field and produce? Yes. Will they? I don't think so. And the only reason I say that is because we probably asked the same question last year about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Agbuka, and we didn't really see them much. And when we did, it was towards the end of the year. They've had nice things to say about Jaden Ballard, too, so I don't think you can forget about him. But um, no, I, just, I, I don't see a huge role for them only because they're going to be top heavy. I mean, there are four bona fide studs in front of them right now. Um, and they're studs in their own right. But I just think there's too much depth right now. But then they could be the guys that we're talking about next year, the way, the same way that we are about Harrison Jr. and Ibuka right now. So I, their, their time will come, but I don't see it this year.
1: Yeah, it's just tough having all this talent, man. It's hard being an Ohio State fan, you know? <laughs> it's really hard out here. The last guy that I really have a question about, maybe we could wrap up some other stuff. If you have any other stuff to talk about the offensive depth chart as a whole? Uh, Cameron Babb, kind of a, a forgotten soul on this Ohio State roster. He's been injured his entire career in Columbus. Is a guy that came to Ohio State as, as a top 100 recruit. A- any chance of him getting on the field over under .5 catches for Cameron Babb this year?
0: If he is healthy, I would guarantee he gets on the field at some point in some capacity because of what he's meant to the program, because of how the coaches feel about him. The health is the big thing. But I do think that if he's healthy enough to play, he's still got that old pedigree. I'm not saying he gets a starting position. He's probably not even on the two deep. But because of the work that he's put in and what he's gone through, I, I would love to see him get out there for one play and catch one touchdown in the shoot. That's all I want for the guy. But if he's healthy, who knows, man? You know, you look at somebody like, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think, like a CJ Saunders. Completely different set of circumstances, right? But did you ever think that C.J. Saunders would see the field, let alone play and do things? No. Was he in the same room as, uh, you know, Cameron Babb's going to be? Absolutely not. But, you know, all that experience, the the attitude that he has and what he's meant to these guys, I do think that there is a slim possibility, and I hope we see it.
1: Yeah, it'd be a nice story to kind of, kind of wrap up his career. Obviously, he hasn't gone the way he's planned in any Way, but you know he's a three-time OSU scholar athlete, two-time academic All Big Ten. Like you say, he's been an important part of this room. I'm sure he's a great veteran leader. So to see him out there in any any way and maybe make a, a significant impact, even if it's just you know one touchdown catch, would be cool to see to wrap things up. But I think you know in terms of wrapping things up, I think we're we're pretty much gone through the whole offense here. We've eliminated the tight end entirely. Uh, we've got an well, offensive mindset. Yeah, go on.
0: Let's do rapid fire because no one probably wants to hear about tight end. Um, my thoughts, real quick. I think Mitch Rossi is a weapon in some, you know, some manner. They used him last year. He can block, he can pass a little bit or catch a little bit. He can run a little bit. He's probably your de facto. Um, I want to see G Scott jr. Out there as a sort of a move tight end catching passes, which I know Ohio state doesn't do very often, but as a whole, I'm very concerned. And those are my thoughts on the tight end position.
1: Over under twelve catches for Ohio State's tight end this year, not including G Scott if they use him as like a wide receiver hybrid.
0: Okay, well if you're taking him off the table, then I'm going under.
1: Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Like I just I can't like uh, yeah, I yeah, I agree that Mitch Rossi and Joe O'Reill are probably valuable as as blockers, but then like I said, like you could just put another offensive lineman out there, or maybe a guy like, you know, Bennett Christian coming in as a freshman who's a really good blocker. That's kind of what he's known for, kind of why he's coming here. He knows the deal. He wasn't a big pass catcher in high school, he's more of a blocker. So if you want to have a guy like that out there, fine. It just seems like you're you know, when you have all this wide receiver talent, it seems like you're wasting a spot on the field. If you need an extra blocker in there for a run play. Just put Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson in the backfield and have one of them block for the other. I'm sure they could figure it out. So I just I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to talk crap about the tight ends on this roster, but I think they're very well aware that they are not. You know, they don't have a Jeremy Rucker this year, and there's no really reason to to waste targets or waste throws on that position right now when you have you know potential all your entire roster is made up of, of
0: future first round NFL wide receivers. Yeah, I think it speaks volumes to the fact that a ninth year fullback is for all intents and purposes, you're starting tight end and everyone knows it. So um, I have concerns there. Uh, Like I said, I'm with you. Let's try the four wide receivers. I'd like to see G Scott out there in some capacity. I think he can be a weapon if he can figure out some things about the tight end position, learn how to block a little bit better. But um, that there's the most uncertainty there. But I don't know that it needs to be a big worry of ours when we're talking depth chart here.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know how many other teams could lose. Uh, like two first round wide receivers two two first round potential first round, like uh, offensive linemen and like have very little concern about the guys replacing them, like almost none at all. Like obviously we said we have our concerns about the offensive line depth, but the starters look pretty darn good. We obviously have a ton of wide receiver talent. CJ Stroud, Trayvon Henderson, mine Williams, all those guys are going to, you know, we hope to perform as well as they did, if not better than this past year. So I, you know, Ohio state obviously had the number one offense in the country last year, so they can't get much better than that. But at the end of the day, I think we should see a pretty similar output from Ohio State this season, just hopefully with a better defense on the other side. Yep.
0: I'm with you. Confident about the offense moving forward. It it seems a bit top heavy, but it, it seems like that every year. And then there's a guy or two or three that step up. So no concerns moving forward. It may look a little bit different schematically without Jeremy Ruckert. But I think that this offense will continue To really dominate next year.
1: Yeah, I think I think the best way to put it for this Ohio State offense is that it has probably a higher ceiling than last year's team did, but but a lower floor. And I think that that floor could be elevated with a with a if the rushing if the rushing attack looks better and if the offensive line is able to run block better because I do think you know a couple injuries here and there could derail things a bit but if Ohio State's able to have a more consistent run game C J Stroud's looking the way he is you know one or two wide receivers are, are playing at the level we expect them to then I think all overall things will be more than fine and you know we're going to talk defense next week but as long as you know we're, as long as they're playing at a top sixty five top seventy level I think Ohio State will be in pretty good shape.
0: That's very interesting, and I think you swayed me. I do think that the ceiling is a little bit higher, and like you said, it's funny to say that with the losses of Wilson, Olave, Petit, Friere, Mumford, Ruckert, on down the line. But as good as Travion Henderson was last year, the running game itself, you know, it was not top notch. So I do think it could be more balanced, and I. That's why I actually think that. You could see C.J. Stroud's numbers drop a little bit. I think you could see JSN numbers drop a little bit. And I don't even know if Travion Henderson has to give you 1,800 yards because I do think that there's going to be a number of guys, specifically another running back, if they block for them, um, that they can all kind of up their level and still I guess still put up the same number of total yards and total points if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think that the the total numbers could be lower but the efficiency numbers could be better. You know, like CJ, that, yeah. CJ Stroud was was shouldering almost the entirety of the offense in the back half of the season and if he has a more competent run game behind him as well as all the all the experience he has under his belt now, I think he could have a much more you know, not that he was inefficient this past year, but an even more efficient season this year. And like I said, just Ryan Day being able to focus all of his energy on the offense, kind of open up the playbook a little bit more for his now second-year quarterback, I, I think that all pays dividends. And while they won't have, you know, out of the gates, the the proven talent at wide receiver that they did last year, even though they will have JSN coming back, I think that overall, if, if things play out the way we expect them to, I think this, this offense should be in pretty good shape, and I don't think that's a, a hot take by any means. I think that everyone expects Ohio State's offense to play well. I think it would be a, a pretty shocking thing if they didn't play well out of the gate and you know we're gonna talk next week about the defensive depth chart. That's really where a lot of the discussion comes in for how Ohio State season will go in twenty
0: twenty two. Gene, I'm just telling everyone now, uh clear out about two hours for this defensive conversation. I've got some takes ready, just in my early notes. And I, I don't even know if they're takes because There are probably, what, like one or two starters that we can name with confidence or projected starters that we can name with confidence. So I I think that's going to be a hell of a conversation.
1: Oh, there is definitely a lot more uh, to discuss, I would say, on the defensive side. There is very few. I mean, even the the coaching staff themselves said they're basically no, they're not they're not writing in any starters to start the year. They're, They're coming in with a clean slate mixing things up. Obviously, what Ohio State's been doing the past couple of years has not worked even a little bit. So they're they're starting fresh back there. And like you said, it's going to be probably a long episode because there is a lot to talk about, a lot of new faces, a lot of old faces, a lot of guys that maybe haven't lived up to expectations, guys that need to step up, guys that, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So the defense will be an interesting topic, but that will be coming at you next week. But Josh, before we get out of here, I want to let you get on your stage here, but this will be the last time we talk before the Bengals uh, take on their Super Bowl, take on the Rams in the Super Bowl. Do you have any Last thoughts. Do you have any score predictions, anything you want to say about your beloved Bengals before we get out of here this week?
0: I've just got a lot of nervous energy, man. Look, you know, I don't want to say that I'm happy just to be there, but if I'm being real, I am, you know, it's just, it's so awesome that they've made it this far, Um, you know, just based on recent history and Burrow's injury last year and things like that. So a super Bowl can't be gravy on top. It's the ultimate kind of end game and the end goal, but, uh, I'm super excited. I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I think the Bengals can clearly go out there and win. And if you're asking me for a prediction, then I'll say 34, 31 Bengals. Um, and it's, I, I don't want to put another last second field goal. On Evan McPherson, but I do think a second field goal by him is going to make the difference. So give me Bengals by three.
1: It would kind of wrap up that perfect storybook ending for all of this, or you know, the, the Burrow right. injury. Everyone making fun of the Bengals for drafting a kicker, and those two guys went up coming back and winning it. And, you know, as we all expected, the the next team in Ohio to win a football championship is obviously the Cincinnati Bengals, just as we all thought going into the 2021. Well, Gene, I'm not going to let
0: you get out of here, though, without your prediction.
1: I don't know, man. I'm I'm pretty torn. I don't really know which way it's going to go. I think it's going to be a really good game. And I I like a 34-31 type of score. I think that, you know, the way that this entire NFL postseason has gone, all these games have been so close. It's all come down to the final possession. I I do really like a a walk-off McPherson field goal because I think he's done a tremendous job this offseason. As I think pretty much all kickers this offseason have done a really good job. So shout-out to kickers in general, a big, big kicker guy. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, like, like I've said, you know, I love Joe Burrow. I obviously love all the Buckeyes on, on the, the Bengals. I, I'm a big OBJ fan from his time on the Giants. thought he was treated unfairly, so I wouldn't hate to see either team win. But I'll, I'll ride with you. I will ride with the Bengals, ride with the Ohio guys. Um, I will say 38-35 Bengals, uh, also on a walk-off field goal. We're rooting for walk-offs here. Um, I'm hoping the is going to be orange. Uh, coin toss is going to be tails, and uh, that—that's what I've got here for you this week. I'm—I'm I'm excited for you. I'm rooting for you, and I hope—hope uh, hope all goes well.
0: I appreciate that, I man. The—the uh, host, the—the the harmony exists. It continues. Jeannie and I are usually on the same page with a lot of our predictions. Maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. I think it makes for pretty good potting, but. Uh... I'm glad you're you're in the boat with me, and we're riding Ohio here.
1: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you uh, make it to be with us next week, whether they win or lose, it could be you know a, a, a happy happy gone or a sad gone. But hopefully, Josh survives this weekend. Uh, I you're, may you're not always... be sober. I'll, yes, I'll right, put that out there. That is I'm... entirely fair. It's going to be multiple days after the Super Bowl, but that is still a possibility that that Josh <laughs> is on a multiple day banger, win or lose. So we will be looking forward to how that plays out. Hopefully, we get a uh, a very happy drunk Josh trying to discuss Jim Knowles' new defensive scheme. I'm sure that would make for a very good podcast. Uh, be sure to check out all of our stuff at Land Grant Holy Land. Uh, we'll be back at you next week, like we said, with defensive stuff and whatever other news breaks in the meantime. Uh, but that's really it. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe—all that good stuff you do for all your other podcasts. And for Josh, Julie, I am Gene Ross. Uh, and as always, go Bucks. And for this week, go Bengals.